Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 23. Isaiah chapter 23, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. We'll be looking at this chapter today in its entirety. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer again and ask for His help as we open up His Word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we continue our study in this book, it has been a very good look at our own hearts and how they oftentimes go astray. Lord, even as we read your word, it's easy for us to go astray into believing that these are words that somehow glorify ourselves and make us look better than others, and just the list goes on. And so, Lord, as we pray, as we read, we read your word here, that you would fix our hearts, that our hearts would be focused on you, not on ourselves, that you would use your word to convict us of our sin, and that you would lead us to the truth, help us to gain understanding about who you are and how we ought to live. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage, it's dealing with a couple of cities that are very economic, uh, very economically stable, of some economic importance in their world, it reminded me of the news in the last several months. And if you've watched the news at all, or if you've just, you know, heard people talking, they've probably been talking about things like China and trade and tariffs and all of those things. It's the economic superpower of the world. China, not us, the wannabe economic superpower of the world, us, and we're going at it about money. And the whole world is watching because the way this shakes out really affects the whole global economy. You have the primary manufacturer in the world, China, and the primary consumer in the world, us, at odds with one another. And when that happens, there's going to be ripple effects. It's going to affect a lot of people. And really... And I understand this could, this could affect people in some very negative ways and, and people that can't help themselves. But really, the root of these fears is, what if I can't continue to live the way that I currently live? And that's it. I'm in a board game community, and one of their biggest fears is that board games could go up by a couple of dollars. Travesty. There are concerns that Amazon, this big company, multi-billion dollar company, right, that could be affected so that we might not be able to get a new box on our porch every day, maybe just every other day. Obviously, I'm being silly, but it is kind of sad how much we concern ourselves with the creature comforts and the financial freedom to have them, which is what this is pretty much about. In our text today, there's a similar kind of thing going on. Again, we have these two economic superpowers Threatened by God's judgment. And the rest of the world has to sit and watch and be dismayed. Tyre and Sidon are the two cities before us. They're important port cities in the Phoenician Empire. There was a, they were a seagoing empire solely focused on trade and money. And they were very good at it. Whereas Babylon and Assyria, nations that we've mentioned quite a bit over the last several months, were military masters, the Phoenician Empire was the commercial masters of the day. They were known all over the world for their financial resources, for their trade power. 
So as we consider the text, we'll see our own dependence on these kinds of things and how inevitable or how inevitably they are tied to the sin of pride. Isaiah has dealt quite a bit with pride in this book, especially as we've gone through the last several chapters, and we'll see that again today. As we consider this, I want us to consider the commandment of Christ to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And so with that, we'll look at the passage, and we'll do so in three points. First, the sorrow on the sea. Or next, the Lord of the sorrow. And then finally, the reversal of fortunes. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Isaiah chapter 23, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Wail, or the oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. For you were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. When the report comes to Egypt, there will be anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from the days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes? whose traitors were the honored of the earth. The Lord of hosts has purposed it, to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There there is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said... You will no more exult, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus, even there you will have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped their palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Well, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten, or will be forgotten for seventy years, like the days of one king. At the end of seventy years, it will happen to Tyre, as in the song of the prostitute: "Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make a sweet melody, sing many songs, that you may be remembered." In the end of seventy years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So 
So just quickly, if you remember, we've been in this section of Isaiah for quite a while now, this particular section of the judgment on the nations. It's been since chapter 13. We started with Babylon and and the Lord's judgment against that nation, and now we come to Tyre and Sidon. And it's interesting that with Babylon, they were like the military pinnacle, and with Tyre and Sidon, they are the commercial pinnacle. And that's kind of the bookends for this whole little section. One of the major themes that we've gone through in these chapters is the world's reliance on things that aren't God. And then the peoples of people of God's reliance on the world. Time and time again, Isaiah has called the people of God back to himself, back to God, calling them to repent of their pride, calling them to worship God rather than the idols of the world. Rather than resting on the world, they should rest on the promises of God. Ultimately, these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So with these two cities today, we have very much the same kind of thing. And again, what makes these two cities interesting is we're going to look at several places in the scriptures where they are mentioned. Jesus talked about them, and he talked about them in the context of the pride of the cities who would not see the miracles that he was doing and then turn in faith in him. And he mentions these two cities that face judgment. We're going to go into that passage it's important for us to make those kinds of connections in the Bible, and we do that regularly here. And that's so the Bible doesn't become a book about a bunch of old things that are unconnected. It's all about one thing, Jesus Christ, and the fulfillment of Him coming and Him coming again, as we heard from the psalm this morning. Jesus continually shows us in the Gospels, the rest of the Old Testament, that the stories of the Old Testament are really a foundation for truth, that is spelled out plainly in the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. Without, with, without one, the other falls. They're necessary together. It brings us to the first point, the sorrow of the sea. Looking with me at verse 1. Oracle concerning Tyre. Well, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste. These ships of Tarshish, a fun word to say, but not too often, uh, was really what made the Phoenician Empire what it was. They were these giant sea trading vessels that basically just made loops around the Mediterranean Sea, and they made p- stops at places like Tyre and Sidon, who were probably the two biggest uh, stops on their way. And these, both of these cities are still around today in modern-day Lebanon. And Tarshish was another city, and that's in modern-day Spain and the island of Cyprus, and there's several places that would have been along the journey. Basically all the places that are mentioned in our text today, plus a whole lot more. They would sell their wares in one place, and then they would pick up riches from that place and take them to the next place. And so it wasn't uncommon at all to see on these ships lots of exotic things from many parts of the world as they cycled through the seas of the area. They would have things that no one had ever seen before. And so they were known for this sort of thing. They were not only a source of income for the Phoenician cities where the trade happened, but they were a source of income for all of the cities that went to do trade there. It was a very important part of the global market, even though the globe at this time was much smaller than it is today. That is why that we see the reaction that we do. When Tyre is prophesied to fail, 
their houses and their harbors are to be destroyed all across the sea. All the nations around them, they're all mourning their loss. And they're not mourning the loss of all the people of Tyre. They're mourning the loss of their money. First we see Sidon, Tyre's partner. They would have been completely lost without, without Tyre. Verse 2, Be still, O inhabitants of the coasts, the merchants of Sidon across the sea have filled you. Be still would have been translated better probably to say be in shock or almost kind of like think of the idea of a deer standing in the headlights, kind of dumbstruck a little bit. The news of Tyre falling would have completely rattled everyone. They were considered, as it says in verse 3, a merchant to the nations. So again, this is a really big deal. Verse 4, be ashamed, O Sidon. Verse 5, when the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish. Verse 6, cross over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coast. All of these people, all of these nations are upset. The entire Mediterranean Sea. And again, it's not because of the good people of Tyre and their loss. It's because their money was tied up in trade with this city. And now that that's all gone... So will their money. It will be gone. Verse 7 is a kind of taunt to those cities. Is this your exultant city whose origin is, whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Is this the one? Is this the city that you depended on for so much? Is this the place that you spoke of so fondly because it was a source of all of your greed and sinful indulgence? Yeah. It's the one. It's gone. And now the nations weep. There are so many cities nowadays. If you just like go and look at the world's largest cities, the top ten largest cities, if you're like me, you've probably not heard of a lot of them. There are just so many places and so many people in these places. It's just unbelievable. It's really hard for us to compare this to today. We don't have these cities that if this city went away, the entire world's economy would crumble. We really don't. And so it's kind of hard for us to understand this. We do understand this as a nation. And I guess you could tie it to us because, you know, we are the biggest consumer in the world. We consume lots of things. And so if something like the stock market crashed really hard, like, you know, 25, 30%, that would be a big deal. The nations of the world would feel that. For a non-financial kind of analog, maybe think of something like Instagram or Facebook shutting down. Maybe that would be good, I don't know. But you'd have a lot of people who completely depend on advertising and all of this sort of thing that is revenued through social media. It would be like just this complete worldwide shutdown of everything. It would just dry up. We could really name lots and lots of things that would be like the city of Tyre being destroyed. Really, anything that quickly exposes your reliance on anything but Christ would fit the bill. Anything that quickly exposes that. Whatever we treasure. Money, fame, power, approval, 
That's where your heart is. Take that thing away, it exposes our need for it. The fact that we would wail if it was gone. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I wish we could spend more time here to really do it justice, but I want to skim over this idea as Jesus saw it. Verse 19, he says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, which the city of Tyre and the city of Sidon would have definitely represented that. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, which is exactly what happened to that city. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesus nails it on the head right here, as he often does, because he knows the hearts of men. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knew those people. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is going to be. And he, he goes on and he tells some more about, and if you're familiar with these passages about being anxious and so forth, and he sums it up in verse 33 in this commandment. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things, all of those things that you're worried about, that where your heart is, they will be added to you. And so what is he telling us? When our treasure is the kingdom of God, we treasure something that will never go away, that can't possibly go away, that can never be conquered. There's never a threat of the kingdom of God facing conquer. There's no enemy that could somehow siege its gates and you know hold it hostage it's just not even possible the kingdom of god will not be assailed in fact the world will not prevail against it and so for us it's a daily examination of one's actions how do we act of our words what are we saying These things can quickly establish whether or not we treasure the kingdom of God or do we treasure the things of this world. I can get so quickly wrapped up in the minute details of life. And I I prayed toward that end today or had you guys prayed toward that end today. I can let some little small inconsistency in the way things should be, ruin an entire day, or really even an entire week sometimes. I'll give you an example from this week in class. I'm standing in class teaching. I don't like to be interrupted at all. And the announcements come on at a very odd time, which was just an annoyance. So I sit there, and after one sentence, the speaker pauses for like ten seconds. And I can hear them rustling papers in the background because they don't really know what they're going to say. They know there's more things to say. And I have a classroom full of students, and I let myself, my guard drop, and I say, if you could just get your stuff together before you interrupted my class, we wouldn't have this problem. And the whole class just goes silent. (laughs) Because I don't really ever show that side of myself, but I let myself go right there. 
That was not a statement that showed how much I treasure the kingdom of God, by the way. Rather, how much I treasure the kingdom of Mike and his time and him being bothered about things. And I was attacked by a 10-second pause in that time, and I wanted everyone to man the battle stations over that little indiscretion. I apologize to the class for my outbursts. I tell the story to just give a practical understanding of what we're dealing with here. It's usually a lot bigger than 10-second interruptions in our class time, and I understand that. Life is difficult. These sorts of things can be life-changing financial issues, life-changing health issues, relationship problems with families, lots of really big things. But ultimately, it's the same issue. When we seek first his kingdom, not our own, that's when we'll be able to put things in perspective and live as we ought to live. It brings me to the next point, the Lord of the sorrow. Verse 8. Who has purposed this against Tyre, bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? Who has purposed this? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. Isaiah knows full well who has purposed this. The prophets, or the people of Judah know who has purposed this. They don't need to be told who has purposed this. Verse 9 tells us, the Lord of hosts, he has purposed this against this city. Why did he do so? To defile the pompous pride of all glory. To dishonor all the honored of the earth. The Lord stretched out his hand, is what we're told, and he shook the kingdoms because of their pride. Verses 13 and 14 really kind of give us this analog here. Behold the land of the Chaldeans, talking about Babylon. Chaldeans is just another name for the people. This is the people that was not. Why do they say this? Well, remember we talked about how Assyria went in and wrecked Babylon before Babylon was big. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. And what's, why is he saying this? Because he's comparing Tyre's fall to that of Babylon. Wail, O ships of Tarshish. For your stronghold is laid waste. Again, the similarity is that Tyre was an economic power of the area. They did everything for profit. They sustained a very successful empire on just trade alone. Now it was all crumbling around them. And the whole world was watching. And to be sure... Just to make sure we understand, being rich and being prideful aren't necessarily the same thing, but Jesus had it right when he said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In the wealth, in their wealth, the rich person sees themselves as sufficient, unable to conquer all problems just by writing a check for it. Just like Babylon was able to conquer all problems by actually physically conquering all problems. Just breaking everything until there's nothing left. The Phoenicians would just throw money at things until they stopped being a problem. 
But when it came to the judgment of the Lord, and when the Lord came in and stretched out His hand and shook the kingdoms, there's no fixing it. The Lord isn't one to trifle with when it comes to the matters of His glory. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Just a little bit of context. John the Baptist sent some messengers to Jesus. And they were wondering, if is this the one who's supposed to come? And Jesus says, look, have you not seen what's been going on? And then he goes on in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent can be taken by force. For all the prophets and the law of prophets... Prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? So what he's saying is, John's come, the whole Old Testament talks about him, the things that he's talking about, which is me, the whole Old Testament talks about that, but when the people around here, Jesus talking about the people in his day, what shall I compare them to when they hear this? It is like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played you the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. All of these things Jesus was doing. Can you imagine being there when he like fed 5,000 or when he turned the water into wine or when he said to a dead person, get up, and they actually did? Can you imagine being there? And the people there said, eh. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What is Jesus saying? Well, these cities, they just don't even care. They don't look at, they don't look at what I'm doing and see it as important. They just look at it and they think, eh, and they remain unrepentant. And so look what Jesus says in verse, starting at verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these extremely wealthy places that had all they could ever want, if these works that you see today had been done in those extremely wealthy cities who couldn't have wanted anything else, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it is for you. In other words, the pride that looks upon the work of the Lord Jesus and says, eh, is worse than the pride of Tyre and Sidon when they say, we don't need God because look at all of our money. I think many times the works of the Lord's have just kind of become that to us, Right? Eh, take it or leave it. It can be evidenced by the fact that we don't pray because we don't believe that God is working and we don't need Him to, frankly. Because look, we have everything. Or the fact that we don't give to the Lord's work because there are much more important things to give our money to, you know, like our own stuff. We can look at our lives and see the things that we 
think about, what we think about the Lord's works by looking about how we spend our money and about how we spend our time and the way that we treat other people. All of these things show our hearts, which are so easily turned away from the truth and toward ourselves. Back in Matthew 11, Jesus ends this section with some hope for his people. And it's really a call to come back to him. And this is a scripture that I quote often, but I think it's great now to see the whole context of it. Look there at 28 28 through 30 there in Matthew 11. He says this, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Is a call to step away from the need and the desire to sustain yourself and instead be sustained by Him. It is absolute freedom to finally let go of the games the world plays and run to Christ instead. Absolute freedom. For us as Christians, we must lead in this way. Your words, the words that you say about Jesus, you may know everything there is to know, and you may be very versed in the gospel in all things, but if you're entrusting in the ways of the world to save you by looking at your lifestyle, by looking at the way you spend your money and your time, by the way you treat people, it's like trying to serve two masters, and everyone can see through it. There's no reason to fool yourself, and you're not fooling God. That brings me to the next point. Reversal of fortunes. Verses 15 through 17. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. And at the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make a sweet melody. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. And at the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, And she will return to her wages, and she will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Tyre has this long period of difficulty, but we read that it's only 70 years or so. Maybe it wasn't exactly 70 years. The idea here is that one day they're going to come back to themselves. And notice, after that time of being completely wrecked, what did they choose to do with their time and their money? prostitute themselves to the kingdoms of the world. They chose to offer everything for money, which is basically the word picture that we're getting here. It is like a person who is always promising to change, even after they get the second or the fifth chance to do so, and they go right back to doing the things that they've always done. Yet you notice what the Lord is doing with their ill-gotten wealth. Verse 18 Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. The Lord uses this money as a tribute of sorts. We use to further the kingdom of God. To those who dwell before the Lord is probably a reference to the people of God and the rebuilding of the temple. The money of Tyre would later be used toward that effort to rebuild the temple. God would use this money that was gotten however, whoever knows how, 
for his good. That's an odd thing here because, you know, we've, we kind of expect there to be this really good end tie-in at the end of the story and for Tyre to turn around and to serve the Lord. That's not what happens. It doesn't mean that God doesn't somehow work in strange ways, in strange ways to do it however he wants. But for whatever reason, he saw fit to have Tyre go right back to their greedy and prideful ways. Ultimately, these cities would be conquered by Alexander later, and then they would become Roman ports. And unlike so many places that we've talked about in these these sections, which are just kind of ruins now, these two places are still around today, still called the same thing. And the main idea here is to make sure that we understand that there's no thing that the Lord can't redeem. In fact, the sin that we struggle with, the sins that we look at and say, I wish I didn't do that, the Lord is using that even to sanctify us and to make us more like Him. That isn't to say that our sin is good. It only shows us our need for Jesus more and more. We can draw closer to Him. The closer we are to Him, the better we'll be. So in conclusion, again, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us seek First, the kingdom of God, His righteousness. Let us not rely on the world, the games the world plays. Rather, let us rest fully in the Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, it's very easy to see ourselves in this passage. The Word exposes the heart and exposes the wicked there, wickedness therein. We know that even despite of that, you love us, your people. Even while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so Lord, we pray that as your people, those whom you have redeemed, those whom you have died for, that you would help us to live as if that is true. That you would help us to live unlike these cities that we've read about today, but that we would rely solely upon you that we would rest in you, that we would give up the idols of our heart. Instead, we would turn to you, the one true God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.